Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we've been looking through the last, uh, through the book, uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians for the last month. So we're going to finish it up this week with this idea of access that we have. Let me read Ephesians chapter 2, 18 through 22, and we'll pray for God's word. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this chance to gather this morning to worship you. Lord, we look forward to being able to take communion together as a church. Lord, we thank you for Dan's testimony and Dan's life. And God, use it to help us look at our lives before you. Lord, I pray you be with those this morning who are struggling emotionally and physically and spiritually. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just work in their lives and wake them up to you. And God, help us this morning as a church to understand and to see the access that we have to you because of Jesus Christ. So I pray you take away all every distraction and open up our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You ever try to open a lock and you combination lock and you try to do the combination lock and you start to turn it and then you yank on it? It doesn't open up. You ever had that experience in junior high or high school or college or 35 years old? And you're trying to open this lock and you can't get to it. It's very, very disappointing when you keep trying to go after it and you keep trying to go after it. You just miss the click. It's a very disappointing thing when you don't get access to what you want coaching soccer for this varsity soccer team, and we got killed the other day in uh, East Moline. It was 7-0 at halftime. That's not good in soccer. And so I halftime, I um, went to talk to the team, and Brandon Dillenbach's my assistant coach, and we're trying to figure out what to say to each other. We both want to get in the car and uh, come back home and not finish the game. And so I, I walk up to him. I said, uh, I looked at him. I said, guys, um, they played really, really bad, just so we're clear. Uh, we could, it should not have been that big of a score. And I said, guys, do you, do you have any self-respect whatsoever? Uh, do you have any self-respect whatsoever? And then it's a Christian school, so I said, go out there and at least show some self-respect and play for the glory of God. Uh, and get out there and play hard. I didn't know what else to tell them. And they ended up winning the second quarter. Uh, second half, 1-0. And after the game, one of the kids came up to me and he said, uh, um, Coach, did I show you that I wasn't afraid? Did I show you that I, did I earn, um, did you show you that I had self-respect? He was disappointed. He would have been very disappointed if he did not, after working really hard, gain back the access of the coach's favor. And he did. He played hard. been asked the last couple weeks 
by different people in random conversations, basically the same question, which is, what is difficult about being the pastor, now that you were the youth pastor, and now that you're a pastor? And I've given two different answers, and the more I think about the question, I think what has been difficult, and what is difficult about being a pastor in ministry, is that you constantly are disappointing people. There's always somebody who's disappointed. You, didn't, you can't be where you want to be or they want you to be and the message didn't connect. And um, There's always a sense that you carry with you a sense that you're disappointing someone. And disappointment locks access. It blocks access. And Satan wants to come into our lives and he wants to shut the door. But Ephesians 2 tells us that the grace of God shuts Satan out and we can are allowed access to God's wisdom, God's hope, and God's power, which is the prayer that Paul prayed for them in Ephesians chapter 1. And ever since that time he prayed that prayer, the whole rest of chapter 2 is Paul telling them, this is what I pray for you. This is what you have access to, my wisdom, my hope, and my power. And this is how you get it. And he keeps saying, for this reason and therefore, and he's showing them, this is how you get it. And it's all by the grace of God. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. God called us. He drew us into himself. It said in first, uh, verse chapters 2, 1 through 10. And then he placed us together. He broke down every barrier between Jews and Gentiles. He placed us together into a group. And he put us into a new people. We looked at last week called the church. And now at the end of chapter 2, he is saying, this is all the consequences. This is the consequences. This is what happens when I pray and you want God's wisdom, God's hope, and God's power. Here is what you have. Here's the access that you are a part of. And the first thing is this. Our access, I want to show you five things this morning. Our access to God. Whatever's holding you back, whatever disappointment is keeping you back, or you're sensing not having the full access to God, we need to know this as believers, as Christians. The first is, our access to God is one of authority. Our access to God is one of authority. It says, for through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In that verse, it's talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have access to God. The Trinity is being represented. Jesus sacrificed himself to wash our sins away. The Holy Spirit and the God the Father took that and he wiped away all divisions that would separate us. And the Holy Spirit ushers us in, into the throne room of God, into God, the King of the universe. We don't have really a good idea of what kingdoms are right now. I know a lot of kids just had homecoming weekend and uh, people were crowning themselves homecoming king. We don't really have that concept outside of high school in this area. But when you are the king of something, you have ultimate domain. You have ultimate rule of everything, right? That's what a kingdom does. And God says, because of what Jesus did for us, because of that the Father accepted that, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we as believers have access to the king and his kingdom. We are ushered into the presence of God. We have 
access to God, and it's on this authority our access to God comes. We go to the authority, to the king. And he says, because of that, in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. And when Paul wrote this, these were talking about, there were two different types of people that were kind of wandering around um, the earth. There were the people who would come in, who were strangers, had absolutely no connection whatsoever to the God of Israel or to the nations. And then there was these aliens, people, who kind of came in, they, were, they had some rights to be there. But pretty much, it's the same thing. People who really didn't have full access to the protection of that city or that government or that place. And he says, listen, because you have access to God on the authority that you can go into the king, you are in the kingdom of God, you have that power now, you're ushered in by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, you're no longer strangers and you're no longer aliens. As a matter of fact, what you are as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer, is you are a fellow citizen with the saints, which means you now have special rights and protection. Remember in Acts 16, and Paul was getting beat up and getting attacked, and he cried out and said, I'm a Roman citizen. And as soon as he said that, everybody got scared. Because you didn't mess with a Roman citizen. A Roman citizen had rights and privileges And if you interfered with a Roman citizen's rights and privileges, you were in trouble. So they all backed down because he said, I am a citizen of Rome. You can't do this to me. And God says, as believers, the access we have to God is we can go into the throne room on this authority that we know the king. We have access to this because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And we're not strangers We're not aliens, but we are fellow citizens in God's kingdoms, which gives us special rights and special protection of what God's trying to let us know this. This is good stuff, but even goes deeper than that. He says that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He starts out, first of all, you're not strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens. And not only are you fellow citizens, you are family members. He makes it as tight-knit as he possibly can to show Christians, to show us that this is the access you have in Jesus Christ. This is the access that we have to God. We have, we are family members with God. Jesus is our brother. God is our father. You are not just out there. We are in. You can't get much closer than family. And family has privileges and security and authority regardless of our past. That's what family is, isn't it? Because you are a family member, there are special rights, special privileges, no matter what your past was. No matter what happened six years ago, you're still sitting down, hopefully, at your family's Thanksgiving table. Garrison Keillor, you guys know who he is? He is a radio guy who does Prairie Home Companion. If you lived in Minnesota, you would know who he was. Garrison Keillor is a a humorist, and he talked about a, I read an account this week 
where he talks always about this little imaginary town in Minnesota called Lake Wabagon. And in Lake Wabagon, everything is just kind of perfect and good. And there was a girl from Lake Wabagon named Lydia. And Lydia didn't like the, just the straight-laced, small-town, Midwest uh, life that she was living. And so she ran away from home, went down to New Orleans, and lived it up. She partied, and she got hooked up with a guy who she was just living with him, and he turned really mean and rough on her, and he basically said, you know what, all I want you to do is keep bringing me more beer and picking up my beer bottles when I'm done. And Lydia said, she finally came to the end of herself and said, I think I'm going to go back home to Minnesota and Lake Wabagon. And she went back to her small town, not much different than Sandwich, Samanac, Plano. This place where she grew up in, she knew everybody, and everybody knew her and all the business of small towns. She'd go to the cafeteria, she'd go to the cafe, and she could hear people whispering about her. She'd go to the post office, and she could see people looking at her. And she knew, because of what she had done, she was a foreigner and an alien, even now in her hometown. But she went to Thanksgiving dinner with her family, and all the aunts and uncles were sitting there talking to her, but she still felt even more when they would, she would walk out of the room, they'd start talking about her situation and her past. And she was a foreigner, she felt like, in her own family's dining room. And then she walked into the living room, and she's walking around, she sees all these familiar pictures that she had when she was a girl, that nothing's changed in her house, just like nothing changes in a lot of the houses in Sandwich, Plano, and Samanac, and Sandwich. But she's looking past them, she sees a picture, in a picture frame, of herself when she was in high school, it was her senior picture. And she looks at it, but what's different about it is down at the bottom, typed out, on her dad's typewriter is a label. And it said, Our, our Lydia. And she realized that no matter the disappointments that she made to her parents, no matter the shame she brought on her family name, her parents still said, This is our Lydia. And that word, our, meant something deep to her. And God says the same thing to us. We are no longer aliens and strangers and foreigners. We are in the kingdom of God. We are in the family of God. No matter your past, and no matter the disappointments, and no matter the problems, we are members of God's Family, we are assured of this because we come to God's family and have access to God on this authority. The problem is we don't always remember that, do we? We don't always feel that. We don't always sense that. So how are we sure that there is this access that God says that there is? And how does this access to God help us? And how, does, how should we respond to this access? And how sure can we be to this access? And that's all that the rest of Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. We are in the family of God. And he says in verse 20, and it seems like Paul's changing. He's very, keeps lowering it down to family, and all of a sudden he starts talking about a building. He says, built 
on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He says, you're members of the household. And so he's taking this metaphor of a picture of a house, and he says, this is how secure you are in God as believers. This is how confident you can be in God, in this structure. You have your access to God is on authority. And your access to God is not an addendum. It's not this adjustment that God made later on in life. He says, listen, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Paul's writing to Ephesian Gentiles, people who are outside of the Jewish faith, who were, he said earlier, you had no hope, you were without God, you were outside, you were foreigners, you had no chance to even know God. And then he says, listen, because of what Jesus did for you, you are all in the household of God. This isn't an adjustment, is what he's trying to say. This isn't an addendum where God later on thought, I like the Jews, there's not some bad Gentiles, we'll bring them in too. That's not what he says. What God says is, is that you are the members of the house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That this was, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, always God's plan. The foundation has always been for God to bring Jews and Gentiles together and form them into one family. That's how secure we are. God knew from the beginning of time, when he planned out the world and eternity, that he was going to take Jews and Gentiles and he's going to bring them together and give them, make them one people with great hope. This is security to know that this was always the heart of God, always the plan of God for us, that we were assembled. And it was in the God's heart and mind to assemble us in the past. And he used the apostles and the prophets to teach it and to show us. And if that's not enough, He assured us by the cornerstone. And he says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The ultimate sign. The cornerstone is where everything rests. And they found some massive rocks that held up the Jerusalem temple. These massive cornerstones. And God says, listen, you have access to me and it is so sure because this was my plan before time began that I was going to bring you together. This isn't by accident. I didn't add you to this later. I didn't come up with a different idea. This was always my heart to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together and form them into the people of God. Because I said this to the apostles and the prophets and if that's not enough, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of this truth. Jesus is the ultimate sign for us that we can rest secure in God's purpose and plan and our place in his family is permanent. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. You could not be any more secure as a believer because this was God's plan from the beginning. We are not, we have access to God because it is an, it's not an addition. This was always God's plan. So we can trust God, teenagers. When you're trying to figure out, is this faith 
Is this Jesus? Is this God who I've heard all my life? Really? What I should put my faith in? Or 20-somethings when you got all these major life decisions? Who should I marry? What job should I do? That's not the biggest question of your life. The biggest question of your life is will you trust this God who did this for you? Or moms and dads, when you're trying to spend your lives to dump and pour into your kids, will they take this faith? That's not our biggest concern. The biggest concern is trusting in Jesus. Or empty nesters in your life's trying to be reoriented. You're trying to figure out which direction to go, which, what to do. You have access to God that this was in his heart for you before time began. Or grandma and grandpas who are spending their time dotting their I's and crossing the T's in the final legacy of their lives. You can trust and have absolute assurance that you have access to God. And that's not an adjustment or addendum. That was God's plan for us. And this access we have to God is awesome. Luke 21 says this, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He's talking about the church. He's talking about that God takes people from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different nationalities and races, and he puts them all together so that they have the wisdom and the hope and the power of God and makes them into a temple for himself. That's awesome. I know that, you, that word gets used too much and it has lost the awe of the psalm, but it is awesome that God has, gives us access. Your access to God is awesome. We need to pause and think about this access that we have to God. That means that God has taken you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has taken you and all your messed up past, all your messed up failures, all your ordinariness, all the things that you think have no real value, God says, no, they have great value. Because from the beginning of time, you were in my heart. And I made this foundation. And I planted it. And I performed this. And I sent my son to die for you. So every little part of you matters. That's awesome. There's a song that says, Higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant through the trial and the change, one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. On and on and on it goes. It overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I never, ever have to be afraid because one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. This is the access that we have to God. So for me, when I'm a dope as a husband, when I'm a discourager as a dad, when I'm a delinquent as a friend, and when I'm a disappointment as a pastor, I still have access to God. And your circumstances, of all those same things that you are and struggle with on a regular basis, God still says to you, you still have access to me. You are in my family. You have access to God. And that is awesome. God says, because of my grace for you, I love you and you have great access to me. We need to pause and praise God and thank God. 
for that. It's awesome that he makes us into a holy temple for himself, undeserved for us. How do we respond to the access that we have in God? How do we respond to that? And Paul says, listen, this access that we have to God, that he's placed us in, that access will, if you're a follower of Jesus, it will determine your actions. Look what it says in verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are joined together, he says. This, he's talking about the church. He's talking about taking people from Sandwich, Samanac, Yorkville, Plano, Hinkley, who have all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different ethnicities, all kinds of different attitudes and expectations and thoughts. He says, in an amazing way, he's taken all of them, placed them together in a church, in a local body of other people who have been rescued by God's grace. And he says, stay together. Because this is how you have my wisdom, my hope, and my power. This is how you have the access that you really want. And so that should affect our actions. And that determines our actions. He says, because you've been joined together. Not like just a big mush of Play-Doh. When you're done, you just crinkle it all together, and that looks like a nice color. Not, not at all like that. More like a puzzle that is intricately made. And that piece was perfectly formed to go right in that section in a special way, which is why you need to pause and enjoy the awesomeness of God. Then you need to look around the church right now and realize that there is nobody in this room that has just been shoved in here by accident or just placed here by accident. God has structurally, intently, passionately, very personally said, I'm going to put that person with that person in that town, in this time, in this church, strategically I smile about that sometimes. People will come into my office and they'll talk to me at church and I will just be listening to them and if I look goofy, I am goofy, but sometimes what I'm thinking about is that is the perfect person that I need in my life right now for this reason. That is the perfect person that we need in this church right now for that reason. That's not by accident. That is by God's intricate design for us. That is special and unique. That's the access. He says, we are joined together. We have been fitted together. It's like a puzzle that he's trying to build and it's purposeful, which means we need each other. And we need to be serious about how we need each other because we will miss something if we don't. The great plan of God won't happen if we don't see the importance of being fitted and bound together purposefully. Orville and Wilbur Wright, the guys that figured out how to fly. Two brothers. They didn't always agree with each other. They would be in arguments for a very long time, having hours and hours of debate, arguing back and forth, disagreeing. So much so that one, that they would argue their points so long that then that they would be convinced the other one that he's right and then they'd start arguing back and forth the other person's point. But they needed both of them together. It's Orville and Wilbur Wright that helped figure out how to fly the plane. It wasn't just Orville in his own ways or Wilbur in his own ways. They needed each other together. And God says, this is what I've done in the church. If you want my wisdom, listen. 
If you want my wisdom, my hope, and my power in your life, then you've got to be connected to me by grace. And you've got to be connected together in the church and not just showing up. You've got to see yourself strategically placed in that church, in that local body of people, because you need each other to build each other up. C.S. Lewis was a guy who, great author, and he, he hung out with three friends. There's three friends, Jack, Charles, and Ronald, and C.S. Lewis is Jack. And they hung out together, and they meet together, and they're great friends. And then Charles died. And C.S. Lewis, Jack thought, good, in a way. Now I can really get to know Ronald. I'll hang out, I'll have more time to spend with Ronald. I can hang out with him, I can grow, and we can, I can really know Ronald. But what he found out was that without Charles there, he didn't get as much of Ronald as he had before. Because Charles pulled out parts of Ronald that Jack could never pull out. And so really, he didn't gain more of Ronald, he lost parts of Ronald because Charles was there. That's how God designed the church. We need each other. We need each other to see ourselves as intricately fit. And when you pull away, we're missing parts of Jesus that we need to see. When you walk away from the church and you move away from people, what that does is it hurts you and it hurts the rest of us because we don't get to see parts of Jesus that only you can bring to the table because the Holy Spirit's in you. And when I talk to you, and you're there, and we're in the church together working things out, you bring out stuff about Jesus that I could never see. And hopefully talking to me, I bring out parts of Jesus that you would never see. And that's how God designed it, that we are one family knit together, and it grows like a tree that has branches. And as it grows, and when we start to stumble, a branch reaches out to somebody else. And lifts them up. That's how God designed the church to have his wisdom, his hope, and his power. And that's the access that we have. We are like bricks that are stacked together on each other. That's all Paul's doing. He's using all kinds of metaphors here. Trying to get you to see, trying to get us to see that the church is how we get access to God. A brick is not going to say, hey, don't put anything on top of me. A true brick is going to say, hey, put some mortar on top of me. Put another on top of me because I want to be a wall. I want to fulfill my purpose, so stack me up. And Paul's saying that's what we're supposed to feel and believe as a church, and this is how we gain access completely and fully of God. This is why we have life groups at our church. This is why we have dinner six. This is why we have men's sharpening men and women's Bible studies, so that we can not just hang out and socialize, but so that we can say, help me see Jesus. I need you. To show me more of Jesus, because I can't see Jesus completely on my own. And God said, no, you can't. That's why I built the church, so that we can see Jesus in each other and lift each other up in that. It's more than just social. This is the access of God we have. Your access to God, then, will strengthen your assurance of anything else. He says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place, for God, by the Holy Spirit. What God says is, listen, we need the church. We need you to see yourselves as intricately woven together. This is the grace of God on you to build each other up and to know each other intimately and seriously. I'm just going to take the time to say this. Do you know people in this church? Do you have people in this church who know enough about your life 
And when they see you erring spiritually, they can say, hey, hey, don't go that way. Have you allowed that to take place? Are you connected enough to have people say, hey, I want to know your life and I want you to know my life. That's the church. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying this is how you have access to God. If not, you have bought into some Americanized church Kool-Aid that's not the church. That's not the gospel, and that's not at all what he's talking about in Ephesians. What he's talking about is knowing people and being known and letting other people know you and says, if you do that, that's how you have access to me fully. When you don't do that, you're not going to know Jesus completely. You're not going to have hope. You're not going to have wisdom, and you're not going to have power like I have it available to you. So when we do that, when we do it the right way, there's great assurance. Because we're built together, it's a process. It takes time. Because we all come with different ideas, different feelings, different struggles, different pasts. But it's a growing process. He's building the church into what he wants it to be. But it's permanent. Your access to God is permanent because this temple that he's building, this church is for God, and God lasts forever. It's a permanent thing in its purpose. It's by the Holy Spirit. He designed you to be here for a reason. He wants you to know more about him. He wants you to know Jesus better because of the people. Listen, he wants you to know Jesus better because of the people sitting in these pews right now. So look at each other. For some reason, he wants us to know each other better by looking at people who are messed up and ordinary. And he says, if you do that together, you'll see me. You'll see me more than you ever see me. You'll have more hope, more wisdom, and more power when you do that together in the church. This is unbelievable access that we have. So don't be disappointed. Access overcomes disappointment. So whatever your past Whatever your present and whatever your future, there will be disappointment because we're sinners and we live in a fallen world. But the grace of God says you have access to me. So your life, your labors are living out God's purposes. Don't miss it by pulling away and pressing away from people, but press into people, press into the body, press into the church. And God says if you do that, As you do that, that's how I dump out my wisdom, my hope, and my power. And the way I showed that the most, and why this is not just talk but so important, because I sent my own son. I sent him down to be just like you. And then I let him be killed on a cross. And I let him die. And I watched it, and I felt it, and I experienced it. So I know everything you're going through, every emotion, every feeling, every pain. And I did it because I loved you. And then he rose again, and he conquered death. And because he conquered death, it's possible. It's possible for us to be a church that loves each other, that builds each other up, to let lets us know somebody. I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Because of the gospel, our sin's been covered. The blood of Christ has covered our path. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus' death gives us the hope that it is possible to be what he wants us to be. We don't have to be disappointed in our access to God. Let's pray.
unforgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned, and I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted.